Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School Podcast, where each week Pastor Anar Ram and Elder Roger Prather will be diving into the weekly lesson from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The congregation at the College Church has made it their motto to love, grow, and serve. We really want to learn to love more, grow more, and serve more. It is our hope that through these conversations, we can learn to better serve our congregation, our local community, and the world. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you are blessed with today's conversation. Welcome to the College Church Podcast. I am in the room here. I'm pastoring a ROM of the College Church. Please, uh, if you're listening to this, come by and join us on Sabbath morning, Saturday morning. We would love to have you join us. And uh, I've had the privilege of being a pastor here in about three and a half years, and I've had the privilege of knowing the two gentlemen with me in this room, which are Tom Bloom and Roger Prather. And we are all three of us happily married, and I say that because of the subject that we're going to be talking about today. It is perhaps one of the more, how shall we say it, hot-button Bible verses that there are in the New Testament, and over time, it has indeed unequivocally been misinterpreted and misapplied. And I want to make that clear from the forefront, because it's easy for us to take the past and bring it to the present and to make assumptions there, which really isn't going to be helpful. Um, We have to remember what Paul was writing in, in his particular culture. We're looking at the first century Middle East, Rome, where we're to, or Ephesus, and we're talking about a total different mindset, total different social structure, and I think that, I don't think that could be over highlighted. But before we go too far, let us begin with a word of prayer. And Tom, would you pray for us as we start? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for being able to gather together to discuss your word and to read the blessed words on the page. Father, as we discuss a topic now that um, your church struggles with at times, help us bring the Holy Spirit into this room, guide our speech, guide our thoughts so that we can give to the people listening to this podcast what you would have them understand. Not our will, Father, but yours. We thank you for the ability to meet together and to have a good discussion. We thank you and we love you in thy name. Amen. Amen. So I want to do what we did last podcast is uh, let's go back to the beginning. Remembering, I won't read the whole text here, but we must remember Ephesians chapter 1 is very clear that all of us, every single human being, Every single human being, as far as God was concerned, was predestined, we could say preordained, to be his children. We have the right to veto that. We have a right to say, no thank you. But this was God's intention. Last podcast, and by the way, we are using the Seventh-day Adventist um, uh, Sabbath School Quarterly which can be found at Roger, www. Actually, there's no www. It's uh, HTTPS oh. uh-huh. colon forward slash forward slash absg.adventist.org, alpha bravo sahara golf.adventist.org. Link in the description below. Thank you. And, and it's bound to 
caused a lot of discussion in every Sabbath school class around the world. Um, but last week, we looked at the simple fact that Paul says, look, in light of what Christ has done for you, make the most of every opportunity. Redeem the moment. Make the most of every opportunity. And it's right there in verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 5. And he pre- pre- that's preceded by be very careful then how you live, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days of evil are the days are evil. And I'm saying this is because we're going to transition into some really hot button verses. So with that, I'm going to read verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to pause there because it's powerful right there. Uh, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, let's just marinate on that for a second. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So if we work backwards, we're doing this for Christ. We're out of reverence for Christ. We see what, what, what God has done in the incarnation. We see this submission of Jesus Christ to the will of the Father to the point that he becomes not just a human being, but he suffers on the cross as a criminal for sins he himself did not commit. And there was an amazing level of submission there. And so Paul says, submit to one another out of this understanding. Now, submit is a powerful word, guys. And it's not very popular today. Not very popular at all. And so, any thoughts about that? One simple word. Well, Justin, um, very broad strokes. Whether you want to admit it or not, you are submitting yourself to something. That's true. Um, You know, people who say, like, well, I'm not religious, or, uh, you know, I'm going to be independent, I you know, whatever I judge based things based on the facts and the evidence. And then I make a decision. You're still in submission to something. Yeah. Um, like on a conceptual level, you're sub- you, at some level, you're submitting yourself to a particular worldview position or a particular framework of looking at the universe. And, and I want to say something, Roger, because guess what? The people who, how we got this framework was devised by a culture and a people that really don't care about you. But can I, I want to just take this to the church level, that these, this is a group of people, Ecclesia people, we've been called out of the nonsense and the, and, and the narcissism in the world today, that we actually care, we're, we're supposed to, we're called to care about each other. So hopefully you can enter this world where you said, hey, there's, there's Tom, I know he cares for me. So, oh, just, anyway, I interrupted. Him. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. I, oh no, that's that's pretty much it. I just I would want people to, you know, you have to be sensitive in how you communicate these things to non-believers, even to believers. Yeah, right. Because let's face it, and I think we'll probably get to this uh, in this episode, but there's a lot of people in the church who do not hold a biblical worldview. Oh, that's true. Right. That's borne out by research and data. Yeah. So you have to be sensitive in how you broach this topic with uh, people when you're trying to correct their worldview and say like, hey, look, you're you're taking as a source of authority something that's in either in opposition to or in contradiction of probably both 
the biblical worldview. Yeah. So that's, that's true. That's really I good just point. want to point that that's out. A very, very, very good point. Okay, and just I like to make sure that everyone's on the same page all the time because English because the English language is awful first off and it can be misconstrued all the time so the word submit has two definitions so far and one is accept or yield to superior force or to the authority or will of another person that's number one mm-hmm. okay and that's the one that i think that we all run into and a lot of people have problems with okay especially in american culture the second definition is more, I think, the way that we're kind of trying to go with this. Subject subject to a particular process, treatment, or condition. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not about that this is being forced on you. It mm-hmm. just means that you're living in a particular situation. You stop yep. fighting back. Right. Yep. right. And, and maybe the, the metaphor of a coach and an athlete is better to, to say, okay, look, that coach wants me to get to the Super Bowl or the World Series. So that coach is going to tell me exactly the best way to swing the bat, throw the ball, kick the ball. And you say, okay, I need that person. And I think this is where Paul is saying, okay, out of reverence for Christ, something magical, something amazing, supernatural happens when we actually do this. When we actually do this, we can learn something about ourselves. And when every, okay, and so here's one of the things that talking about with Rogers talking about the worldview. When you look at those Bible texts that we're about to read and you read them with the idea that everybody involved has Christ's spirit in them, they're actively trying to follow Christ. Yeah. Then those, those texts will take on a different meaning. Yeah. It's not necessarily a, you know, force situation. It's not a, you know, or else situation. It is everybody's pulling in the same direction. Yeah. You hope. <laughs> well, as long as everyone has Christ in in and, their heart. See, this, right. is, this is that thing. See, and you say that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That you hope, and you put that in, in air quotes kind of thing. The idea here is, is that we enter a lot of these situations with the idea that people don't. They don't have Christ in their That's heart. Fair. But here, here, I want to add to that. Remember that in every church, there's the invisible social structure. And I can imagine first century, you walk in, you could see who's who. You know, you could see people who had uh, money by the way they dressed, those who didn't, those who perhaps had education, those who didn't, the slave and the free. And 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 Paul saying, submit right. to one another. Well, I mean, out it, of reverence it goes, for Christ. He's, I think he's actually turning this social hierarchy, uh, he's blowing it up, yep. and he's saying... Let's do something new. Well, in Ephesus, and, and Roger, you and I have talked about this in the actual um, seats out there when we're doing um, Sabbath school. Ephesus is a microcosm of today's world. The different religiosities yep. that were out there at the time, when you read those in the context that you we're about to read them, yep. there were religions out there that had turned yep. roles upside down. Oh, yeah. Okay. So if we're talking about returning to a Christian paradigm, yep. Christian thought process, a worldview, this is the context that Paul is potentially trying to readjust 
the the Ephesian church into thinking. Yeah. And and so with that, we ought to dive before the time runs away. We got we got to get into this verse. So here it is, Ephesians five twenty two, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, I want to say here, there's a period, there's a dot there, but that doesn't mean the end of the sentence. Right. That's People not, unfortunately stop there. They do, they yeah. do. And here is the real key. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, Paul's sort of going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but it's all related, and there's those words, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I came across an article here, and... Uh, it was says here, 500 years ago, Niccolo Machiavelli posed the question, was it better to be a leader, to be, for a leader to be loved or feared? Fear or love, that's the choices. And you can't be both. And would it be better for a leader to be feared or loved? His conclusion was to be feared is more effective. Yeah. And, and you get things done, people will stand and, you know, you say jump how high type of thing. Paul comes at this with a totally different approach. He's introducing this L-O-V-E word. And he's saying, and you're not just going to, it's not, we're not talking about a Hallmark card love right. where you run down to the grocery store and CVS and you buy a card and buy the candy. Here, I love you. No, 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 no. This is a love that says, look at what Christ did. You take it to this, you take it to this level. And, and that's the context in which we really need to look at these, look at these uh, uh, verses. Any thoughts here about that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it, I'm sorry. That's an oversimplification of Machiavelli's philosophy. First of all, okay, this is just out of an article from the Harvard Business Review. It was just a just because yeah. it has the word Harvard on it doesn't no, mean that they no, know what they're no. talking about. So, uh, Machiavelli's purpose was uh, so it's better for a leader to be feared, but he, if you read the whole corpus of his work, he's talking primarily about leaders who are trying to do the right thing. Hmm. Right? So, all leaders are feared to some extent. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 13. You know, the civil authorities, they bear the sword, and if you're a wrongdoer, then you ought to fear them because they are going to punish you for doing yep. wrong. Machiavelli was a proto-liberal. He wasn't a liberal. He was, and I mean, in political philosophy terms, not modern yep. American yep. left and right terms. He's a proto-liberal. He's, he's, he's the beginning of the, the political philosophy that leads ultimately to the United States mm. and, and, and Great Britain. Mm. So, yes, it's okay for the leader to be feared and to be ruthless if he's pursuing the right goal. 
if he's mm-hmm. doing if he's trying to do the right thing. So and I bring so, that up because you can't now that's the Harvard Business Review, not the Harvard Theological Review. Right, right. And right. so you can't say that love and fear are mutually exclusive because we are supposed to both love and fear God. So I think it's a fear because here's the thing, it goes on the article goes on to compare two coaches, Bobby Knight. Of course, we know Bobby Knight, Indiana University, his, his anger issues, and then uh, Mike Kerensky, who wrote a book um, about leadership, and he uses more of the love approach. And both of these guys were leaders. I maybe Bobby Knight. His players know. loved him. Which one? Bob- Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight. Yeah. Okay, so he defended them tooth and nail. He did, yeah. He expected ridiculous results from them. Yeah. And his methods to the outside world seemed to be... And there were certain kids who didn't, you know, who didn't work inside that paradigm. I think one kid alleges that Bobby almost choked him. Right, right. I don't know. You know, but then there were people who, you know, absolutely blossomed inside of that paradigm. Now, I'm not saying that that justifies. Right. Okay, but I'm just saying that you, in today's world, you can use all sorts of management techniques if your end goal is the product. That's a good point. What is the end goal of marriage? Right. It's not a product. Unless you consider children to be products. (laughs) (laughs) Is a a product, you know, uh, yeah, we made it to 50 years, 60 years. Of marriage is that the product? What is that's that's a good question to really pursue. Yeah, I mean because if if you got married because you looked at your wife or your husband's earning potential and you said, oh okay, you know dot dot dot, or if you know they have good genetics, they're a beautiful person, so the children yeah. are going to be beautiful, you know, kind of thing. And there's a lot of that out there. I mean, I isn't listen there, to so many crazy podcasts. Isn't there? Isn't there something about first you marry for mar- for money, then you marry for, for love, love. Yeah. Or no, the, no, the third one is love. Okay. First money. The second one is for social connections, and the third one is love for love. Something you know, like that. But I've yeah. seen so many crazy podcasts out there where they're talking about. Okay, women have this list, and all these lists, and they want the one percent man that makes three hundred thousand. You know. By the way, we're, not, we're 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 doing this podcast in a room full of three men. <laughs> you know, and I'm certainly not a one percenter. I'll put it to you the other way. But I'm I'm going on twenty nine years, so I'm I think I I think my wife loves me still. Um, but anyway, I digress. And the idea behind the the podcast is is that. It's not the real way that we should be looking at how it works. Right. You, you look at the person who's going to fit you, and what do you bring to them? Yep. Not what they bring to you. Yep. That's. It's interesting you said that because um, many years ago, my dad had this found this article, and that's the issue is, and most people, he said or the article said, most people listen to the radio station W-F-I-I-M, what's in, oh no, W-I-F-F-M-N, yeah, W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? Right. And and that's where you're off on the wrong foot. Right. 
right there. And some people say, well, marriage is 50-50. No, it's 100-100. And, and, you know, we, we, you hit the nail on the head. Yep. So, um, and well, so. Mar- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. So marriage is, and I'm going to talk here from a social science perspective. Marriage is the fundamental institution of any society. Mm-hmm. Right? Aristotle says this. Uh, Plato sort of dances around the issue, but he sort of says it. Now, is that product-oriented? Is that their idea, the production of children? No. So in Aristotle, which is the more authoritative and the later source um, and much more influential in a Western social science, at least on this, in, at least from my perspective, uh, so Aristotle basically says that the way the family's supposed to run ought to be a model of the wider community, right? Mm. So to, to put it in sort of like, to, to paraphrase Aristotle, the family is the city in microcosm, right? right? Because mm. their whole political philosophy is based on the city state, you know, Athens, Sparta, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And so the way that the family functions and he uses the term household. So that's inclusive of, hu- that's inclusive of husband wife children servants Mm. and family in the family economy and that that's supposed to so if you have a functioning family structure then you are you know yards ahead in terms of developing uh a functioning society now you go now you how do we relate that to the biblical text where is marriage instituted it's instituted in genesis And what you have there is you have a husband and wife. You have a man who's by himself who recognizes his... Figures it out. Hey, hey yeah, I'm not really much of anything if I'm by myself. Right. And so right. the way I read the text, this is sort of intentional, right? So you gotta get you got to get behind trying to just be literal about Genesis and, and look at it as theology, uh-huh. right? Or And I'll use the word mythology, and I can defend that what's the point right Mm -hmm. so it's almost intentional god wants adam to realize what he lacks so that god a so that god can provide it for him right right number one and number two so that he appreciates the the completeness that comes from having that partner and then when you get into the and ellen white touches on this when you get into the fall in genesis chapter three what you have is you have Eve wandering away from Adam. That's Ellen White's version of the story, sort of. Have her wandering away from Adam, which is what puts her in a position where she can be tempted away from what she's supposed to be doing. But but what's left unsaid there, but what's implied in the biblical text, is that Adam is also falling short because Mm -hmm. he should be making sure that Eve... It stays out of trouble and I don't mean that in terms of like controlling her I mean that in, in terms of being her provider and protector and so Adam's job is to pull her away they're supposed to be pulling each other away right right and we read so much into that 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 yeah. that, that 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 paracope that um, that isn't really there but I would just rest on you know Jesus's work on earth is not possible because of the way God's planned things without the church and so uh, the man a, a, a human man's work on earth is not possible without because paul is clearly like explicitly 
drawing parallels between Christ and the church and the marriage relationship. And so a, a man's purpose on earth is not complete without the church. I'm, I'm sorry, without women. But the inverse of that is the church without Christ is nothing. Women without men are nothing. And I don't mean, I don't, I, would, I'm not, I don't mean that the way that people usually mean that. I mean mm -hmm. that God set this system up to be symbiotic. Mm -hmm. And we often overlook that. It's funny how that works out, isn't it? It takes two. You can't have this on, you're not going to procreate on your own. Right. It's, it's not. And, well, I'm sorry. Can I can I jump off of that for a second? I just want because I, I always want to point I always want to point out the cultural relevance of this, right? Yep. We have whole science departments. We have whole organization scientific organizations now working on trying to sidestep that truth, yep. that fundamental truth. You can't procreate without both. We have genetic science departments that are working towards well we'll just pull you actually have human embryos that are being grown in a lab and they're not they're they're not produced from eggs or sperm they're produced from stem cells mm. those are growing in a lab right now in the united kingdom mm. right and so these are all ongoing things that are going on in our society we're constantly trying to sidestep these issues yeah and i think we need to be clearer about addressing some of these wow. things that are going on in the world. Wow. There, there's a segue. And, and, but let's come back to, I, I think we need to say what, what's in our sphere of influence here and something we just can't control. Um, it's interesting because many times we have these categories, you have headship theology, you have authoritarian, which kind of ties you have complementarianism you have um egalitarianism i think i'm missing one but that's kind of the the cubbyhole boxes people tend to go into here and as we were talking about before we went on air if you read this bible text you can apply each one of those isms to that bible text and get out of it what you want yeah which on some level is extremely scary Right. Yeah. But I think this is why I said what I said at the beginning. When you have Christ in your heart, he shows you the way that he wants you to interpret those texts, mm -hmm. not necessarily through the lens of whatever ism you happen to gravitate yep. toward. Yeah. You know, I mean, I may be an authoritarian person. I'm in the, I'm in a particular job where I'm expected to be in control of 25 students at yep. any given time. I'm expected, I'm expected. So it would be very easy for me to fall into authoritarianism. I'm mm. a father of four. You know, yep. I, what I say goes, you know, kind yep. of thing. Yep. And you can get very steeped in that kind of genre. Yeah. But if I then apply that to my Bible because I'm large and have to be in charge, mm -hmm. then I'm missing the idea in mm -hmm. its totalitarian. And why, why mm -hmm. is it necessary to create some subdivision? Like I'm a complementarian or I'm an egalitarian. Yeah. Like I think it's, we like you said, English language is, can be- It's bad. Yeah, yeah. it can yeah. be horrible. So yeah. we, we try to create these categories so that we can say like, ah, yes, all right, well, you're this and he's that and yep. I'm this and you know let's try to figure out which one the Bible supports and it's like Jesus's relationship with the church is unlike any and again 
let's look at the historical context. You have a lot of divinities floating around in Ephesus with a, the various mm-hmm. relationships with their with their followers. And again, go back to the Old Testament. This is one of the big points of the Old Testament is to distinguish how God relates to his people right. versus how other deities relate to people. The way Jesus relates to the church is fundamentally different than the way we'll go with Ephesus. Diana relates to her cult. Yep. Yep. And so the way that a Christian approaches marriage ought to be fundamentally different from all of the other alternatives that exist in the world around them. Yep. If that makes sense. Well, and absolutely. And I agree with that 100%. But we find ourselves in today's world living in an Ephesus like right time where all of those alternatives are being presented as plausible just like they were back then so not even plausible it's well here's a couple that are off the table according to the culture's determination here's the ones that are acceptable and here's the one that's preferred right that's kind of how the culture works right and we lean very much towards the egalitarian yep. side yep. in this culture, in our current culture. Um, and you have a lot of pushback from the, I won't say authority, I'll use the technical term, the federal headship people who talk about, you know, like the archetypal head, just like mm. Jesus is the archetypal head. Adam's the archetypal head of the human race. Jesus is the archetypal head of the church. The husband is the archetypal head of the family, and we have to implement that with like an iron fist. So you have that sort of like reactionary push on the on this side versus the extreme egalitarian, neither which I think can really be supported with scripture. No. So I want to mention here, it's interesting that big picture here that Paul is telling the church, listen, this understanding of the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ isn't just something you put in your brain you keep it that oh that's my religion he goes back and forth he keeps pounding on the uh, on this nail that listen it's going to impact your life when you're dealing with people who don't believe as you do when you're going to be in your home how do you do this and it's interesting i i think last uh, podcast i made reference to uh, tony campolo and in the book tony shared this conversation he has with somebody who thought they understood what Christianity was about, but he really didn't get it. And so it's like this epiphany he's having. He says, I didn't realize that, you know, you talk about Christ died on the cross for our sins, and but it was more that Jesus was a human being. He knows what it's like to be a human being. And in here, he says something interesting. He says, you also helped me rethink sex. I've always figured that the sins of the flesh were desires and practices of sexuality outside of marriage. I assumed that sex was good so long as you did it with the right person, following the rules of the church and evil, only if you failed to meet those requirements. Now I see that even the sexual act between a husband and wife is evil if it, if it leaves either partner feeling degraded or objectified instead of loved. I think that's a pretty good, that's a good working definition here. And... Um, he goes on to say, uh, to be saved from sin is to be delivered from this and every other kind of alienation. It is to enter into a personal relationship with the ultimate human being transformed into his likeness to enjoy ecstasy, the ecstasy of full aliveness. And, and 
when we look at this, that word alienation is important because we are, we're, we're in a world of aliens. We're separate from each other. Paul is calling us to be one. And even in the context of a body of believers, in the context of marriage. Well, it's just scary. Like When you think about this and the level of intimacy that is being insinuated or even just outright talked about mm -hmm. in Ephesians. I mean, okay, so we get the idea. I'm a big one. I understand that there's the vertical. Everybody is okay with the vertical. You mean as far relationship as... between Jesus Christ and the church? Okay, everyone's okay with that. Yep. All right. It's the horizontal one that we all get itchy feet about. Yeah. And the idea of loving one another with the same level of intensity, yeah, it is scary to a lot of people. I mean, and I and it's a foreign concept on top of that. Like I could love you. And I and, and and don't me don't misunderstand me. I'm talking about the different forms of love. I'm not going to be chasing church members around. Okay, kind of stuff. All right, I'm talking about the same level of Philo, brotherly right, love, right? Exactly, or agape love. Yeah, the same level of intensity. Yep. That I feel about my wife, or that yep. I feel about Jesus Christ. Yep. And if could you imagine, if that was actually true inside the church, what a different place this place would be. Yep. And that's where we, and there are people like that within the church. There are, Tom, there are people like that. Yes. Anyway, so. Oh, no, you can keep going. No, no, right. just don't, we sometimes miss those people. We overlook them. But there are people here, and I think we, we to be honest with ourselves, with, with us, we are good at putting on a mask. And, and some people are afraid to sort of, really open up their hearts because hey you may not be trustworthy well you be, may come into you, you, you may, may come be... into a marriage with a mask on and a lot of the times that that's true yeah but you can't live inside you can't live with somebody and be that close to them and have the kind of intimate relationship that you're supposed to have and the mask stay in place 100 percent of the time right it's going to fall away it's going to fall away it okay. should fall away and but if I make that same supposition to the church, if my mask actually fell away mm. to some of the fellow church members that I have in there, that's terrifying to me. Mm. And, yeah, and, you're true. that's true. I mean, which one of you asked your wife out on the first date and you were totally yourself? I don't. I would no, not believe no, you if no, you that, told me you that were. Way, that's, that, that way. That, because you, you, in that context, you don't know if you can trust that person. That's true. You know, you're still getting acquainted. And granted, this is a lifelong process. Right. This is a lifelong process. And and so, but yeah, the first date's jitters. You know, you're butterfly in the stomach, the whole thing. And you put your best foot forward. And, and some people even say that even all courtship is putting your best foot forward. But and then after it... they say, I do... Here comes the other foot. <laughs> but to, to put, you brought up the, the sex issue, and I'm glad you did, because this is, so again, let's ground this in the culture that Paul's talking to. So for a, a upper class, Greek-speaking Roman citizen of the city of Ephesus in the first century, mm -hmm. what would have their sex life looked like? Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they would have been married to another upper class, Greek-speaking Roman citizen woman. For the for two purposes and two purposes only 
social mm-hmm. connection and the production of children. Yep. Okay. Yep. Those are the only two purposes for which marriage yep. existed. Yep. Sexual pleasure. How did that take place? Like for actual, ple- now I'm not saying that there weren't any husbands who were sexually, weren't sexually satisfied by their wives. I'm saying they would have gone to temple cults yep. and engaged in sex, sex acts with, uh, ritual prostitutes Mm -hmm. some female some male yeah and then you also had rampant homosexuality with young slave boys in this in this society this is the sexual life of an upper class wealthy greek-speaking roman citizen in ephesus in the first century that's the reality that's the historical reality i'm just giving you facts and so what what the that when we talk about flipping like things upside down when paul comes along and so this is already so this ethic that we're talking about already exists in the old testament yep right so the 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 way that a a a jewish husband was expected to behave was completely different than all of the other cultures around them yeah okay um so when Paul introduces us to the Greek world, it is a radical, yep. radical suggestion that what a husband should do is be sexually satisfied with his wife in the same way that he would be sexually satisfied with a temple prostitute, mm-hmm. right? And get it, get pleasure out of it that way, yep. right? Also focus on the procreation thing. Yep. Also focus on making sure that your family is well established socially, economically, professionally, whatever. Yep. And then you completely abandon because, as we'll deal with in the next lesson, the focus on children becomes completely different. There's no, you know, children are to be protected, uh, educated, all these different things yep. because that already exists in the Jewish world, right? You're saying yep. your boys are going to school. I mean, like the, the Jewish civilization was radical in terms of like yep. justice, right? Yep. Um, you had little girls in certain communities learning to read. Yeah. Uh, at early ages, which was just completely unheard of um, in the ancient world. So, um, but then children become, now the husband and wife are focused on the children, the children to be raised up in the truth, the truth, so that they can assume those leadership responsibilities that are being occupied by the mother and the father in the home and in the church, right? So there's this complete inversion of yeah. the priorities. And so what, and I, I I, it, this gets really controversial, and I'm sorry if I make anybody mad, but I'm not gonna. I, I'm not gonna back down from this. What you are seeing in our current culture is the reignition of an Ephesus-like view on relationships, sex, and marriage in our current culture. Hmm. Right. So all these all these things that we see in Ephesus that Paul's speaking against are rampant and out in the open in the current culture in the West. And we're being told in the church is the temptation placed before the church is well to love these people you have to accept this th- this way of doing things, and I don't again I don't think you can support that from the Bible because let's just stick with husbands and wives. The current culture says, oh, you're dissatisfied in your marriage, we'll just walk away. It's interesting you said that because I just read it in the uh, I think yesterday New York Times this you know the the Ukraine war is heartbreaking no matter how you look at it and so what happened is of course uh zelensky said okay no man between the ages of 18 and 60 or so can leave the country and and, and, with the exception of a few extenuating circumstances so what happened is the ladies leave and just read this heartbreaking story about a woman who goes to finland 
as a refugee, she realized she likes it there. And this is happening also in Norway, where they say, this is great, I'm not going back. That's, that's issue number one. The second problem is, her husband's back in Ukraine, she falls in love with a man. And, and he's stuck in Ukraine, only, all, only part of the family he's got is the family dog, and she's got this whole new life. And you're like, wait a second here. You know, what about that to love and to cherish? And, you know, it's like, what, you know, this feels good. I want to do this. She's, you know, met this new man. She's in this new country. Wow, this is, this is amazing. She still made that vow, I'm assuming, at some point in her life to say, in sickness and in health, in rich for richer for poorer, we're going we're gonna to stay together. And it just breaks my heart reading that story. Broke mm-hmm. my heart. And it's like, so what are you appealing to? Is your baseline what feels good? Or is the baseline my word, my beliefs, my world, of, my way of actually, our, actions, our actions matter in this world? And so that, I just want to mention that, Roger. Go on well, that's a good, it's, a, it's a good point that you bring up because... Um, you know, people get people get really nervous and they squirm in their seats when you start talking about issues that are uh, social and political, right? Yep. We have we have bought into this idea that you can always separate your religious perspectives from the social and political realities outside the church doors. And I'm here to tell you, as a scholar of these issues, that is a hundred percent and completely false. Right. There's no good reason for us to believe those things. Your religious perspective is going to be impacted or impact your social and political perspectives and vice versa, right? And when you take the position that, look, okay, I'm going to go with the, the Bible's own language, right? From Daniel, from Daniel all the way through Revelation, we'll start with Daniel to Revelation, you have the language, this is God's language, not mine, the building of the kingdom of God. We are building a very particular political community. And when I say politics, I don't mean Barack Obama or Joe Biden or whatever. I mean diverse people from different backgrounds with different interests and proclivities figuring out a way to live together with one another. That's the base definition of politics. And God is building a very specific kingdom. Remember, he's tried before Pilate. Pilate says, you're a king. Jesus says, you say I'm a king, but my kingdom's not of this world. He's not saying that he's anti-politics. He's saying, my kingdom doesn't originate where your kingdom does. Your kingdom originates in force and conquest and and violence. My kingdom originates in peace, love, submission to the will of God and God's law. He doesn't say that explicitly, but it's implied. And so when we talk about how husbands and wives... Are, are interacting and how families are formed and the way marriages are uh, what's the word pra- how, how the institution of marriage is practiced we have to be clear about the ways that we're allowing cultural influences to impact the way that we do these things inside the church and we get really nervous when we say that and I don't yeah. want people to be nervous I want you to be able to boldly sit down and discuss these issues because you have a lot of people coming in from the outside. None of us is, is, is in a bubble or a vacuum. 
we're being so, influenced by these things. So how do you so how do you answer? Okay, because I'm gonna I'm gonna take up the baton here. Okay, please do. How do you how do you answer those people that say? So the idea of marriage that's being pushed is merely a Western ethnocentric concept, because you could go to Japan, you could go to China, you could go to all of these places that have completely different outlooks on marriage, and say, oh, okay. So you're talking it's Judeo-Christian and that's it. And that's the that's what you're pushing. But I, I'm going to, can I interrupt here? Because I think the key ingredient that Paul's bringing in is that, go back to that simple word, love. And I would say that in every marriage, there is a moment where the weight of this problem, whatever you're dealing with, can, can be so severe, you're like, the easiest thing is to say, quit. Mm-hmm. The easiest thing is it's, it's over. Well, okay. But there's a love, but there's something. And love isn't a warm, fuzzy thing here. Love well, is... Well, there's that whole book where he, where the prophet marries the prostitute and yeah. he comes back and all the rest of that sort of stuff. I mean... Hosea, yeah. 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 How difficult is it oh. to get to that level? I mean, if that's the thing that we're being shown, if but, that's but, but, the standards Tom, that's being put in our face, don't, don't, don't forget. Okay, don't forget. Hosea Gomer is a different. It's it's a it's a it really happened, but it's also a parable, because you know the biblically speaking, a person is free to divorce on the grounds of adultery, and so that's part of the dynamic here. Is Homer had the home Homer <laughs> Hosea <laughs> had the right to divorce her, but God told and, him not to. Right, but I'm done with you because he's trying to point out, make out a point to the Israelites. This is my love for you. And right, I'm but it's saying, still a paradigm that's being presented to us because the Bible yeah. the Bible works on but, itself. But but there's people in 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 our in my circle, you know, where where their their marriage has been hit to the core by by adultery mm-hmm. and. Maybe it'd be once or twice or three, whatever details. But that, you know, when you look at the when you look at what God goes through with with His people, it it what really gets under His skin isn't, you know, are you uh, bearing false witness? Are you um, uh, breaking the Sabbath? Those on occasion, but really, it's idol idolatry. That when when people start following other gods. That's what gets to him. And I say that because when you look at, you know, infidelity, that's sort of like the same thing. It's a betrayal of a trust that takes you to a whole new level. And uh, the annoying things about, you know, the refrigerator or whatever it might be, where you put your underwear, (laughs) those in the big scope of things, that it doesn't, it's annoyances. But, a, a a a violation of the vow is is boy there's a sound effect yeah there's that there sound we go effect. There yeah go. so anyway i didn't interrupt you well, but, no, go ahead. but the other but, thing about that story too is god so it is a parable that was acted out yeah that's a good way of putting it but god when when hosea marries gomer he she's already a prostitute right she's yeah. already there oh yeah so the parable yeah. is god's telling israel look you were whoring about with other gods when yeah. I chose you. Yeah. I knew what I was getting myself into, and I've stuck by you no matter what. Yeah. And you're the one who has wandered off. Yeah. And when you, get to, when you get to Ephesians, 
we'll go this direction because I think this is the direction you wanted to go in the beginning. But when you get to Ephesians, what we do when we try to interpret it about the way the marriage or the either marriage or uh, gender roles ought to be put into biblical perspective, we'll go to that. We'll go to the parables, not just the parable, but the prophetic uh, pronouncements against uh, uh, spiritual adultery in Israel. Mm-hmm. We go back to Genesis, and what 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 happens is there becomes this sort of like within the church this culturally sanctioned idea that if someone's going to screw up the marriage and go off and and and, and adulterate themselves spiritually or physically, I'm speaking here in, in yeah. broad metaphysical terms uh it's going to be the woman and so the men have to be the stronger Mm. you know what i'm saying to sort of Mm. rein in there's this like there's this undercurrent throughout christianity that goes back a long way that like the women are the dangerous ones they're the ones she's the one who ate the apple let's be clear about this (laughs) she is but that's the idea but what's coming back right now if you read outside of uh seventh-day adventist literature if you read into other uh protestant uh, like high-level theological discussions, something that's coming back is this idea that um, it wasn't all Eve's fault. Adam oh, shouldn't no, have no. let her off by herself. Yeah, his culpability is denied. Correct. Yeah, and that's per, per, pretty pervasive uh, perspective in the church generally, not just in Adventism, but in in the church generally that. Adam was kind of like he wasn't really doing anything wrong. He was just doing what he was supposed to do. No, he wasn't. He wasn't protecting his wife. The one way I put it, a book that I read uh, last year, the year before, was talking about the Genesis as a moral story, and it said, uh, "What what what are husbands supposed to do when they encounter snakes in the yard? They're supposed to cut their heads off, right, so that they don't get bit by the family doesn't get bit by the snake." Well, Adam wasn't out there. Mm. hunting the snakes in his yard and right. so he, there's a, there's a failure on his part mm. um and i think that we overlook that a lot especially once we get to this section of ephesians and we're like oh yeah see you know um so you that's an interesting uh, interpretation because we know christ is the one who crushes the head of the serpent and well, what does Paul say we're supposed to promise, be? We're right. supposed to be and, saviors. And, and Adam was supposed to have done that. I say we, I mean yeah, husbands. Yeah, I got you. But that's, yeah. a, that's an interesting, that, uh, that, I like that perspective. Yeah. So um, coming back to, we got to work on the acoustics of this table here. Um, you know, this is tying into what this word love. And he, Adam would care for his wife. And we see how quickly things fall apart there. Where after they have sinned, they play the blame, blame game. But I, I still say, you, you you said, and I'm not. This isn't a. Uh, I'm not criticizing you. No, I think no, you're no, right. no. But you have to define your terms. Yep. Because the way people use that word, love, we can say love all day long, but you know, uh, uh, what's and the uh, what's uh, the uh, culture uh, that uh, we live in? If you love me, you'll accept me. No, no, no. My decisions and yeah. my preferences, whatever it is, you know what I mean. And like, you have some really weird stuff going on in the culture right now, yeah. and the the pressure is, if you love someone, and they decide to do something wacky, you have to go along with it. That's what love mm-hmm. is. And I don't think no. that's well. I it's, and, I don't think I know that the Bible doesn't. And 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 love is, yeah. We really. Care. What do you mean when you say? 
love. Yeah. It's a it's a, a strong concern for the other person. I'm really boiling it down, but a real strong concern for them. I, I've an had affinity the, for them. I've had this discussion with several friends of mine who are on the outside of the church. And I know what you're saying, Roger, and I know what you're saying, Pastor Ron, but it's so much more difficult because the idea of acceptance and love, like I can't stand a thousand miles away from you and say that I love you, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But then I don't accept behavior X, right? Especially if that behavior is a fundamental part of who that person is. And, and and I say that from the perspective of sometimes we are what we are and we can be working on fixing that or we can be saying that is who I am. So, for example, let me just let me just say. If I said to you, Roger, I love you, but I can't stand that you're bald. I don't accept your baldness. Right. And you say to me, but that's who I am. That is because, you know, genetically I have this predisposition, blah, 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 blah. Right. Okay. All the rest of that. So, so. And I say, yeah, but I just, I simply can't accept that. But I love you, man. Eventually you're going to be like, dude, that, that's ridiculous. It, well, uh, is it though? So I go back to last episode where right. I brought up the smoking thing, right? So yeah. somebody comes into the church and they smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. Okay. Uh, they smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. We love them, right? You get to know this person, right? They're coming to our church very, you know, regularly or whatever. And we're, we're saying like, hey, look, uh, you got to we, you know, I'm not saying this to be critical, right? Like, because I love you. You got you to gotta do something about the smoking habit, man. You know what I mean? Um, and they go, well, but this is who I am. You know, I started mm-hmm. smoking when I, I think of my stepdad. I started smoking when I was 12 years old. And it's just part of me now. And okay, if so you this love works. me, then you have to accept me. But we're going to say, all right, well, you know what? Maybe tomorrow, instead of smoking three packs of cigarettes, just smoke two. Okay, right? so we, we're talking about external things now. Let's get Let's cut this even deeper. Okay. Let's talk about things that fundamentally make us who we are. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and for it, some people, smoking does. No, no, no. I understand, but yeah. it's still an external force that you accepted into your life. Yeah, I'm talking about internal forces now. Okay. Okay, I'm talking about. Um, we all know people who we fundamentally understand are pathological liars. Right. Mm. Okay, that's who they are. Yeah. They can't help it. It's a pathology. It's a thing that makes them who they are. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're not likely to change anytime soon. Mm-hmm. How do you still love that person and still include them in your sphere of influence by even by saying, I'm sorry, you're a liar am I and I can't accept per- it? Am I married to that person or... Uh is that my cousin? Is that my coworker? Is that the guy that I maybe give a ride home after church? Well, how many every degrees of weeks? separation does it have to be before it turns into a problem? I don't love you like I love my wife. I sure hope not. So I think. But that but no, depends. but see, this is the thing that goes to that thing. We we are though. 
the 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 way that I've been reading this interpretation, the, the deep regard in which you're supposed to hold each other as Christians mm-hmm. is to be at the level of how you regard your wife. And mm-hmm. I don't mean and he clarified, not talking about I'm talking about the different kinds of love. Okay. From for a brother to brother love, you're supposed to feel t- about me the same way. Well, okay, so that, um, that that's a good point, right? Because we, this was originally written in Greek, and so in Greek you have three basic fundamental uh, types of love. They have three different words for three primary, three different primary words for love. You have agape, eros, uh, and and uh, filial love, right, right? right? So you have godlike love, which is this sort of like uh, universal. Uh, you and I can identify on a level of hum- human, whatever. Uh, then you have eros, which should only exist between a husband and their wife. Correct. And again, in the culture, uh, what you have sort of developing is you have this sort of like weird, in Ephesus at the time, you have this sort of like weird mixture between agape and filial love between husband and wife. And then the eros takes place in other settings. Somewhere else. Right, right like yeah. in temple cults or in these like, you know, bathhouses with slave boys and things like that. Yep. And... I'll go back to where uh, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, "You know, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me?" He uses he uses filial love three times, right? Mm-hmm. Am I thinking that right? And then he says, "Do you agape me? Right. Feed my sheep." And so I think I think what, it's two then two filial one. Oh, agape, two two I and think. then three. Yeah, you'd have to, I'd have to look it up, yeah. right. but um, but he switches in the middle of that discourse between the two. Right. And so what he's doing is he's 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 talking to Peter and he's saying, do you do you love me with brotherly love? Now, Peter just spent three years wandering around Judea, preaching and teaching right. and, and surviving, you know, fishing and eating and going hungry and developing these connections. OK, I know we got to stop. But then so he's, he's he starts with that and he builds up to agape. Right. And right. so like. Um, I think what the way I interpret what you're saying is we're supposed to take those other types of love and we're supposed to use those as building blocks to sort of realize like God that agape love sort of encompasses them all. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Because Jesus, remember Jesus, Jesus is the is the creator, but he walked into a synagogue and he got preached to. Could you imagine if Jesus just showed up mm-hmm. one day and sat down in the pew and was like, "Show me what you got, Pastor Ron. <laughs> you want me to do the scripture reading for you?" <laughs> You know what I'm saying? From memory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, it makes me think of that scene in uh, Narnia where Aslan looks at the White Witch and he's like, don't quote the deep magic to me, which I've mentioned this before. I was there when it was written. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, but that's kind of how Jesus did. He, he operates on all those levels, yeah. right? Yep. Yep. And we have to figure out a way. I think that's why when you come down to marriage, I think what the, the relationship between husband and wife is supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be able to encompass all of those. Ty- my yeah. wife is my sister. My wife is my lover. But my wife is also someone that I'm supposed to help disciple into the kingdom. And mm-hmm. we're supposed to cooperate in discipling our children into the kingdom. Yes. And so we find that the family becomes this way that you encompass all of those things. Yep. And, and and dare I say, you know, we need to be careful. We try not to change our spouses in the sense of personality. 
I well, believe me, I can't. 20 years yesterday was my anniversary. I, I haven't succeeded in changing my wife one bit. There you go. There <laughs> you go. So, and because God you. made Boy. us, God made our spouses, and 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 that's a good thing. And and yeah, character is another issue, and that's what we're sort of getting to here is is our character. So, we got to wrap up, guys. And there's we have barely scratched the surface. I'm just looking here about the different love languages. We get into that, so many different directions, but we have run out of time. We try not to go over one hour. Thank you everybody for allowing us to be part of our your lives. We hope that this has been helpful, at least to maybe stir up some different thoughts and ideas and questions you may have as you look at the Sabbath school lesson. So as we wrap up, Roger, would you pray for us? Sure. Father in heaven, Lord, uh, we thank you as always for the ability to do this. I thank you for uh, those who listen. I pray that it's a blessing to them, that it opened their minds to mm. think and, and ponder your word and its meaning for us and how we can live out that word in uh, the world that we find ourselves in today. Uh, I pray for every person in this room as a husband. I pray for their wives. I pray for everyone listening who's married. I pray for everyone who's listening because their children were all involved in a family, Lord and uh, overarching we're involved in this church family and so i pray that you will enlighten our minds and open our hearts to loving one another as family members the way that you love us the way that christ loves his church the way that god the father loved israel enough to send christ to die for them i pray that you'll uh, implant that and, and as we as we grow and mature, that uh, we'll learn to love like you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for those who are uh, listening to our podcast. We hope and pray we're a blessing for you, and we hope to see you sometime here at the College Church. May God be with you. If you are looking for a community, have some questions about the discussion, or would like to participate in a live Sabbath School class, please join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. for Sabbath School and 11.15 for our worship service at 337 Main Street, South Lancaster, Massachusetts. This has been a production by the College Church's Communication slash Media Ministry. If you were blessed by this podcast, please like, follow, and subscribe. Join us next week for another lesson and let us all remember to love more, grow more, and serve more.